I love seeing old footage. I love seeing home movies, and especially for churches, those are our home movies. We have 50 years of home movies that we get to celebrate over the next three weeks, and it's going to be a really joyful celebration together. So I want to tell you about a woman that I learned about this past week. Her name's Angela Duckworth. Angela was a middle school teacher about two decades ago, and during that time, she began to wrestle with the question, what makes a student succeed? As she was helping to teach many different students in math, she began to see that some students were excelling and some not so much. And so she began this study of what makes a student or a person succeed. She ended up going back to school and getting her doctorate in psychology and pursuing that question. And she went all over the place to spelling bees and then later to... Um, to the military academy at West Point. And what she found was that what made students or children or even adults succeed didn't have as much to do with how smart they were. It didn't have as much to do with how much they knew or how long they had been part of something. It had something to do with two words, passion and perseverance. She said that the person that really was able to make something last, to succeed in an endeavor long-term, had passion and perseverance. She later goes on to define that as grit. She ended up writing a book called Grit that I would um, encourage you to pick up and read. But that definition of grit is passion and perseverance toward a long-term goal. Now, we've met people that have a lot of passion, that they get really fired up about something, but do you have passion about something and stick with it? Well, long before Angela Duckworth was talking about grit, we read about grit in our scripture. Jesus was a person with a lot of grit, a person with great passion and purpose and understanding of what his calling was and perseverance. Do we see in the stories of Jesus over and over again this constant perseverance and longing for people to follow him, for people to know who God is? So then we see that scripture in Hebrews 13.8, which is the scripture for this particular series that we are starting today, that talks about who Jesus is and who the church of, of Jesus Christ is and is supposed to be. It says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the book of Hebrews, we have a preacher who is preaching to a group of people who are weary and tired and being persecuted. And what the preacher in Hebrews says is Jesus is the same, the same Jesus that came and was resurrected from the dead and who taught us how to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. That same Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When I think about that word grit, when I think about a person that has grit, it makes me wonder who in the body of Christ has grit. See, you know, Paul in the New Testament talks a lot about grit, actually, this passion meeting perseverance over a long group of time because he's talking to groups of people who are church planting. And from my experience and from the history and experience of this church, what we know is that church planting takes grit. 
1973, 51 people came together to share a passionate vision for a church that would be planted in the growing community of Plano, Texas. As they began to meet and discern where God was calling them and who God was calling them to be, they decided on the name Christ United Methodist Church because Christ is the most common title used for Jesus in all of our scripture. That focus on Jesus. Grit. The perseverance to continue to focus and the passion for Jesus Christ is what planted a church 50 years ago this month. What Paul asks us in our scripture today, and as we look at the history of our church today, what we are looking at is this definition and question of grit. Do you have what it takes to stand up against all of the obstacles that will come your way? What Paul asks us in the scripture today that we're going to read in Thessalonians is, does your faith stand up to the test? As we hear in that beautiful song that we just sang together about that parable that Jesus tells about when the rain comes and the storms come, does your house have a firm foundation? Does your house stand on solid ground? So today we're reading from the book of Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. This is a letter that Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. This is what Paul has to say to this church. But we must always give thanks to you, God, for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. For this is the purpose he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by word or by letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and through grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, comfort your hearts and strengthen them in every good work and word. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast. I get, I get this image of a boat, of a rocking boat and Paul saying to the people, stand firm and hold fast. Now, a little bit of background on this particular book in the, in the scripture. So Paul writes to a lot of early churches. But the book of Thessalonians, the church of Thessalonica, you might consider to be one of Paul's favorite churches. If Paul had a favorite, maybe the church of Thessalonica would be one of them. Because what he does in the midst of talking to them is what he says is that they are not only ones who are to be encouraged by the faith to continue to do the work that they have already been doing. So, like our church, we see this image of motivation. Not motivation because we've been doing something wrong and we need to get it right, but because God has already done so much through us that that encouragement, that word of encouragement is here for us again today, a reminder to stand firm and to hold fast. Oddly enough, the church that Paul is writing to in these letters is actually younger than our churches. It was less than 50 years old. 
And Paul encourages them, pointing them for the return of Jesus, always pointing them back to Jesus, who sets everything right. Stand firm in what has been taught. So what has been taught to them? What we read just recently in the scripture said, God chose you as first fruits. God chose you as first fruits to be saved through your sanctifying work of the spirit and through the belief in the truth. God chose you. Stand firm in what you have been taught that God has chosen you. I believe that to plant a church takes a lot of grit, but it also takes a lot of audacity to remind ourselves once again that God has chosen us. Not because we have done anything to deserve it. That's what we've been taught, right? That it's not because of what we have done or ever could do, but because of God's grace, God has chosen us first fruits. And because of that, the Spirit of God works through us so that we might be witnesses to the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Stand firm on what you have been taught. God chose you. Jesus said it like this in the New Testament. In all three out of the four of our Gospels, what we hear as the great commandment that Jesus is tested on in the Gospels, a bunch of scribes come to Jesus right before his death in his, in his triumphant return into Jerusalem that we talk about as Palm Sunday. Very quickly after, Jesus is tested. What is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he adds mind. And then he said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Stand firm on what you have been taught. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what we do as a United Methodist Church. The United Methodist mission statement says that we are to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The mission here at Christ United Methodist Church says that we are about loving God, serving others, and transforming lives. Do you hear the great commandment in our very mission statement and who we are? Loving God, serving others, transforming lives. Because loving God with all of our heart, loving our neighbors as ourselves with our whole heart, we're not talking about an organ here, we are talking about our heart, maybe more particularly in the way that the French talk about heart. The word for heart in French is courage, courage. Love the Lord your God with all that you have, with all of your strength, with all of the courage that you could muster. Love your neighbor as you learn to love yourself. What I love about Paul's letter here in, the Thessal in 2 Thessalonians is that he is talking about encouragement to put the heart back in something, 
Oftentimes when we talk about encouraging one another, we think, oh, well, maybe we could just say something nice to them or just be kind to them. But encouragement is when you feel like the heart has been taken out of you, when you are at your lowest point and somebody comes along and puts the heart back in. Here at Christ United, what our history shows us is of a group of people, a group of pioneers who came to Plano, Texas and said, let's put the heart back in. Let's make Jesus the focal point. Let's pursue serving others the way Jesus called us to. Serving others, loving God, transforming lives. Bearing witness to God's invitation is about everything that we do. That is our tradition here. That our faith may not be just what we believe, but who we are. Have you ever found yourself talking about someone and you begin to describe who they are, actions that they've taken in, and you begin to find yourself saying, well, that's just who they are. Now, that can be taken in a really positive way, and that can be taken in a really negative way. Well, that's just who they are. But as a church... In what we do, in what we say, in how we act, in all that encompasses the body of Christ, it becomes not just about what we say we believe, but who we are. Paul talks with such heart in his letters to the early church with such encouragement to put the heart back in it because this is not for Paul just about what he believes. This is for Paul about who he is. And what helps us to stand firm in our faith is not a belief system, but instead an identity that comes from that belief system. What would happen for our church and what has happened for our church when we make loving God, serving others, and transforming lives not just a belief statement, but instead an identity statement? We make it who we are. It's just what we do. It's just who we are. I had this great privilege um, several months ago uh, to meet with um, some of our other clergy in our conference. It was a young clergy gathering. I'm right on the cusp of not being able to go to that anymore. Um, But our bishop, our new bishop, Bishop Sines, met with our young clergy. And he asked us a series of questions and broke us out into groups and talked to us about what is the church in 30 years look like? What does our culture look like in 30 years? What is our communities look like? What do we feel called to? And what I began to realize is as we were talking about what the church of the future might look like, we couldn't do so without looking at where we've come from. Christ United Methodist Church 50 years ago was a church that was settled in Plano, which was a growing, growing place. It was a place that was an intentional plot It was an intentional designation because there was hundreds of thousands of families moving to this area, and there was a need for a church. There was a need for a community of faith. You might remember 1973 that All in the Family was very popular during this time. Delta Dawn was the most popular song at that time. But think about all culturally and historically that has happened in the last 50 years of this church. 
What I found at that young clergy gathering is that many of us, while we talked about the future, instead of with a lot of hope and optimism, we began to get really upset and frustrated and nervous about what it would actually look like. Many of us began to say, I just don't know how to be a pastor anymore with all of these shootings. You know, I don't, I don't know what the church is going to look like if, if, if our earth keeps heating up more. You know, I don't know that the church is going to continue growing if everyone keeps saying that the church is dying and it's irrelevant and the younger generation doesn't want to be here. And we kind of went from up here where Bishop Sines really wanted us to be just to kind of getting into a complaining space. And Bishop Sines very lovingly (laughs) circled us back around and said, you know, I was with a a group of other bishops, retired bishops, a, a couple of months ago, and I sat next to a retired bishop that was in ministry for 50 years, and he's been retired for 20. And he sat next to that bishop and said, what was it like for you to preach and be a pastor during this time in history? He said, well, I was a pastor during the Civil Rights Movement. I was a pastor during segregation. I was a pastor when Martin Luther King Jr. was shot and John F. Kennedy was shot. I was a pastor when we landed on the moon. I was a pastor when there was fear of bombs and we were hiding under desks. And as we listened to the list go on and on and on, finally Bishop Sines looked at us young clergy and said, you see, We have always been preaching and pastoring and loving a world that is on fire. This is just your fire. There will always be a world that we are set amidst, that is broken, that needs the love of Jesus Christ and the witness that we bear. The tradition and the beauty of this church is because we stand firm and have this clear focus on Jesus Christ. We not only have the gift and ability to preach to that world on fire, but to be part of that world and to invite that world into a better world. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My prayer for us as a community is that we look at our tradition the wealth of tradition of this incredible place, not just as historical facts or markers, but instead as a celebration, as an encouragement to put the heart back in what we do, to let our heart for loving God and loving others be seen first and foremost in everything that we do.